John Ryan, seven points, 39 for one average, only two inside the 20, uh, longest of 51. So, yeah, I think in terms of punting... You know that sounds like you're doing the shipping forecast? <laughs> <laughs> So, welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. This week we'll be looking at all the news from around the league of week two, and we'll take a look at the games that were happening, some good, some bad, some pretty fucking terrible, and then we're going to have a look at your questions, uh, followed by the picks for next week. So hey guys, Connor here, I've got Harry. Hey. And I've got Ronan. Hello. So how are we getting on, lads? Ah, grand. Been a quiet, been a quiet enough week, uh been just doing nothing really since the last one. Uh, I did make some brisket though, which was amazing. Very good. Yeah, got books across the road, slow cooked it for about a day and just, oh, beautiful, beautiful stuff. <laughs> what about yourself, Fitz? Yeah, I've been keeping it quiet. Some out of choice. Some due to results, as we'll discuss. But uh, overall, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose we'll fire straight on into news. There's a fair bit to get around. We've got a couple of questions this week as well. We said we'd get to from last week, so uh, we'll try and fit as many in as possible. Kick off with uh, Buffalo fired their offensive coordinator, Greg Roman, our offensive coach. You know, bad start to the season, 0-2, but to be honest, it wasn't really the offense that was looking all that bad. It was the entire thing uh, and the horrible train crash that's going to be the Ryan brothers uh, running a team together. So they've promoted the running backs coach, Anthony Lynn. He's been with Rex for a very long time. He was a running backs coach and assistant head coach, I think, in the Jets. He then interviewed for the head coaching job with the Jets when Ryan was sacked. Uh, after not getting it, he followed Ryan to the Bills, been there as a the running backs coach, and now been promoted to, to offensive coordinator. So he's making sure he's got a whole big room full of yes-men to make sure he's an easy transition into retirement, I suppose. <laughs> um, oh, guys, what do you think of this game plan? Yo, it's great, Rex. Great. Uh but yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if this is really something that's going to fix any of the problems. I was hearing that Greg Roman last year was running the offense and it was the most productive offense Rex Ryan has ever had uh, as a head coach. So it doesn't really seem like it's something that's going to fix the issues. And then there's a whole load of stuff, and I'm sure you get into it, involving the players and the management having meetings without... Uh, Rex Ryan in the in the room and lots of backdoor dealing. So I'll come to you first in this, Harry. What do you make of this firing? Is it going to help them? This is baffling um, as to like, the ownership's faith in Rex Ryan and his decisions and his personnel. Like, this is mistakes that were made in New York being made in upstate New York. There's a real uh, issue with the way Rex Ryan has run teams in that he's been proven to be incredibly good at one thing running a 3-4 defense and then questionable at everything else from offense to personnel to just management uh, man management really and this kind of is concerning that Buffalo are going to fall into this trap again like the problem for Buffalo is yes the offense did not look good but the defense was appalling like they had a really good defense that when Rex Ryan took over became a reasonably good defense and now they've brought in Rob Ryan, and suddenly Darby and Gilmore, who were two of the best cornerbacks in the league, have become useless almost overnight. So you really got to wonder if this is the right solution, and if the, the owners are just trying to placate Rex, they've sort of committed to this Rex Ryan project, and like, let's give Rex his guys, let's make sure this is just Rex's system. What happens when it doesn't work? What happens when the wheels fall off? Like, Greg Roman is a proven guy who has done good things after two games, particularly after the success their offense had at the back half of last season, 
it's very, very worrying that the ownership does not know what they're doing and is buying into something they really, really shouldn't be buying into, which is anything that involves Rob Ryan. No, of course. And, like, there was discussions on the off-season about whether or not they were going to get rid of Rex, let alone bring in his brother. So it's not like this is a new issue that they're dealing with now and trying to pivot to. They were dealing with this on the off-season as well. What about yourself, Fitz? Do you think this is going to help them turn the bills around? No. Uh, as we've discussed in this podcast many times before, I don't think anyone here believes that Rex Ryan is a good coach. I don't think anyone here believes that Doug Whaley is a good GM. This is a team that's ripe for a clear out at the end of the season, or perhaps earlier, depending how the ownership feels. But this feels like a cursed team with a cursed season. With all of the injuries and off-season things that happened, you have to look at this team and think this is a team that's going to have a very tough year. Like When you look at the offensive struggles that they have, you can't ignore the fact that they had a lot of losses on the defense, yes, but also on the offense, including Carlos Williams and some of their running back depth. And of course, Sammy Watkins has come into this season effectively saying that he's playing through an injury. And it's really showing on tape that he's not the player that he can be, the dynamic player that we know he can be. They re-signed Tyrod Taylor, but he hasn't really shown that much progress over last year. But if you're going to put Tyrod Taylor in there, having Greg Roman makes complete sense because he had such, such success with Colin Kaepernick in San Francisco. We know he's a coach who can play around the strengths of his players and accentuate them. So when you look at this decision, it makes no sense uh, to me personally. And it, it talks to me of a dysfunctional team, which is likely to only spiral from here. Unsurprising, as, as we've always said, Rex Ryan is a coach. He's fine. He's boisterous. He's fun when you're doing well. But the second things start getting rough, he makes stupid decisions. He fails to take control of the situation. He fails to take control of the offense. And right now we're seeing the end of a, of a dynasty, the Ryan dynasty. It's quite sad to see, but... Probably not unexpected at this point. Yeah, so like I think we're all kind of vaguely in agreement here. What the likely outcome of this is, is at the end of the season, they're all turfed out. Uh, maybe spend a year without a job, and then I'd expect to see Rex Ryan back as a defensive coordinator kind of position if he really wants to kickstart his career again. I think he's okay at that side of the things. But team management, overall game planning, dealing with press and human beings not really strong points for him now you're saying all that but does that not make him sound perfectly suited for the head coaching role in Chicago <laughs> well surely he'd, he'd have learnt from his uh, from his father and he'll just take the defensive coordinator position and never speak to the rest <laughs> of the coaching staff don't really expect this to fix much uh, do we think Greg Roman's going to catch on anywhere it depends what comes available I'd say but he has a good reputation there's no reason to believe that his work uh, isn't appreciated in the league, so I'm sure he'll catch on somewhere, perhaps as an assistant for now, but an OC position should come available, if not this year, probably next year. Yeah, I'd say there are teams, based on the way they're going now, in even three, four weeks, could be looking for a new OC, and I'd say Roman will be close to the top of that list. Yeah, it could be. I think yeah, though we, we'll discuss it later on, but I think there's one or two teams that we think are very teetering on the edge of uh, of getting rid of some of the upper management a little bit quicker than possibly the, uh, <laughs> the Bills will. Uh, next point we're going to talk about is about your team Fitz. Seahawks have been caught for being cheating bastards again but not the kind of cheating bastards that turns all of America against you. The kind of cheating bastards that make you think that's real hard-nosed football. Maybe he's right about the Twin Towers. Uh, Seahawks have lost a fifth rounder and a week of OTAs because they keep hitting each other in practice when they're not allowed to. Um, this is the third time they've been caught for this, for having physical contact with OTAs when they're not allowed to. They've been warned, and they've been warned, and now they've been smacked with this. 
To be honest, I don't think any of the earlier ones really bother them. No large organisation minds losing 200,000 if they think it gives them an edge. But they do get annoyed when they lose fifth rounders. Uh, so I think this will have an impact on them. Fitz, these are your boys. Like, What's your hot take on this? Honestly, it's kind of a situation. They've been warned before. They're aware of the rules. And the Seahawks have always traditionally been a team that likes to do practice full, full throttle. But the terms of the CBA right now for OTA says that it should be non-contact. It should be about practice and learning and things like that, not about physical endurance or whatever like that. So for the Seahawks, it's very unfortunate because there's been some pretty good 50 rounders, such as Cam Chancellor, that have come out. You know, since uh, the current John Schneider got in charge as the GM, so it's pretty bad from that perspective. But hopefully they'll learn from this and, and they'll, they'll, they'll temper stuff going forward. Um, unfortunately, in this day and age, OTAs there's always plenty of video. Uh, evidence so if you think you can get away with it you probably can't and I think that's been shown in this case this is their third offence and it really speaks to some of what we were talking about in the preseason review about whether the preseason should be you know reformed in the totality because obviously at that point we were talking about John Harbaugh mentioning that OTAs and stuff like that doesn't really make sense maybe a development league that those kind of ideas also kind of stem from this kind of fake practice that we have in this early spring OTA situation so there's maybe some discussion around that as well yeah, I think that's pretty. That's a pretty fair assessment. Uh, not really much to add to that. It is kind of you can understand why it's there, but it is kind of silly because the teams don't like the teams don't really want it. The players, to a large extent, don't really want it. They're happy to have contact, but the Seahawks, you know, they have always been a physical team. I mean, did you see uh, Pete Carroll body checking his own receiver <laughs> <laughs> this week? But yeah, you're, you're, you're always we always have these stories about um, coming out of. Seattle like about in camp and the fights and stuff like that so it is just it's just how they operate you know they're very into it they're very physical in how they play style so for them it obviously makes sense to try and instill that in the players from as early a stage as possible it is daft because as Ronan quite rightly says they're going to get caught but uh, yeah it's definitely something we could see revisited when the, uh, the new batch negotiations come around yeah, we had a quite a large spate of injuries come up this week. Quite a remarkable amount, to be honest. Uh, anyone who's playing fantasy football better get to them waiver wires. So Minnesota, uh, AP has torn slash injured his meniscus. Uh, his return is because of that diagnosis somewhere between playing this week and three to four weeks from what we gather. Uh, obviously a big impact, or at least in theory, on the team. But it seemed to be that teams had kind of figured out that they were only going to run down their gut. I believe he was getting six or seven inches before contact in the most recent game. So, like, is this going to be a huge loss or a manageable kind of disruption? Uh, go to Harry on this. Well, in theory, it's a, uh, it's a very big disruption. But in practice, Peterson has not looked good this season. He has not really done much for the team this season. Like, having him on or off the field hasn't really made a tremendous difference. So I don't think it's going to make much of a difference in how Minnesota play. The one concern is that teams then stop stacking the box because they're not worried about Peterson anymore. And then... Jared might, McKinnon. Yeah, Jared McKinnon, McKinnon and Matt Asiata, who are like two perfectly reasonable running backs, to be fair, but aren't what Adrian Peterson can do when he's given space and when he's able to uh, go basically get an isolation with, with a uh, defensive back or, or, or similar and just run them over. So... We might see a drop-off from the receivers. It might be more difficult for Bradford to move the ball, for Stefan Diggs to find space when teams are less inclined to stack the box. So that's the concern for Minnesota. But realistically, they haven't really relied on their offense so far. So I don't think it's going to be as big as it might have been a couple of years ago. No, of course. New England have had a bit of an upset as well. Jimmy Garoppolo had to leave the game injured. Uh, 
and brought in your uh, your third stringer for the last while. Kind of nearly blew a 20-point lead there, which is, uh, you know, a great, great sign. They say he might play uh, this week, depending, but it's a short week, so I'd say highly unlikely. Uh, but it's nothing long-term. It's a sprained AC joint. Uh, like, Fitz, do you think this is a big impact to them? Or are they happy with the fact they've gotten two wins already and they're only two weeks away from Brady? Well, as we were discussing the picks, it's a situation where this week was going to be difficult anyway. But considering how good Jimmy Garoppolo was looking in the two games so far, it is a bit of a loss. You know, there's not like a, like the New England Patriots, their team that wants the Super Bowl, winning as many games and getting that first round by is important, and any loss hurts you there. Overall, they've already got those two wins; they're happy enough. And Tom Brady obviously comes after comes back after week four, so like it definitely has a bit of an impact. But I think overall for the season, it's not a major thing. Uh, it might even be good for Jimmy G because he won't get shown up by the Houston defense, only increasing his value when the Browns trade for him next offseason. <laughs> no, of course. Cleveland have McCown go down. He's out for probably one week, but maybe more with a shoulder sprain. He gave a very good press conference afterwards about uh, why he wanted to stay in. It was very interesting. Uh, we're probably going to talk about this one more later on because we've got a question in uh, about the Cleveland Browns quarterback situation from one of our listeners. So we'll probably hold off on that till now. Uh, for the moment, not a huge impact. I don't think uh, he looked well, but we kind of reckon that they're going to go through about six or seven quarterbacks this year anyway. <laughs> so not all that surprising. Chicago had a number of injuries. So Cutler is out with... Well, different different reports are saying either a thumb sprain for at least one week or a hand surgery that will require six months. Uh, they've had Lamar Houston, who's likely gone for the season. Uh, Trevathan, who's had thumb surgery, so he's probably out for a good couple of weeks, or at least until they can wrap it up and let him JPP the fuck out of it. Uh, what do we reckon? This is not a team that was trending upwards anyway. Is this going to make a big dent into their like three-win total? <laughs> yeah, it's just a bad team is going to be slightly worse. Where the destroyer is going to destroy any chances Chicago had of uh, getting anything out of the season. Yeah, it just makes a bad situation worse, to be honest. Mm. Uh, Fitz, big favourite talking point of yours is Arian Foster's groin. Apparently he's hurt it. Uh, what do you make of that? Well, apparently it's day-to-day, but this is hardly unexpected. Arian Foster's injury history is well known at this point. Yeah, at this point, like he was looking quite good for Miami, Certainly better than like JHI has looked uh, when he was given his one play and fumbled it. So it's definitely a worry for Miami that like this like because they they've played okay in the first two games despite losing both of them. Very very disjointed, but some hope there. So I think the fact that they'll have to rely on a rookie like Kenyon Drake probably suggests that Miami is trending downwards if Foster can't stay healthy. Yeah, Tampa Bay have an injury to Martin. We haven't got much detail on this. Uh, he. Was kind of expected to do a lot more in the season than he has so far. Uh, like, what's your thoughts on this, Harry? Yeah, it's a hamstring injury. I think was the last I heard. And mm-hmm. like I say, details are unclear. I don't know. I think Martin's looked okay this season. Been been reasonably solid at running back. Um, it's a downgrade. Like Charles Sims is a really good third down back, but can't great really, hands. You, but you, you know, can't carry the load. Yeah. Like, um, so yeah, you've got to be worried, uh, particularly given how their offense looked after they lost Martin <laughs> yeah. last week, as in just incompetent. Um, so it's going to put an awful, awful lot on, on Jameis Winston. It's going to be a very big test for him because the running game is is going to suffer as a result. Uh, Carolina, Stewart's out at least week or two with a hamstring. It's going to be a downgrade, but everyone better run to your waiver wires and try and pick up Fozzie Whitaker, I suppose. or uh, Cameron Artis Payne. Yeah, Payne, possibly. Um, 
you don't know how much it's going to affect them because they've managed to work around bigger issues than this before. They've now got a better receiving course out there and Cam Newton is essentially running back. So I don't see this being massively damaging, especially given that it's going to be for two weeks. Uh, Detroit, answer unknown when he's going to be back. Got a high ankle sprain and Abdullah, the running back, has been looking a lot better this year. Has a foot sprain. Again, we're not sure what the timetable for that is. Foot sprains are one of those fiddly ones that can either be gone the day or gone in four weeks' time or played through or not played through. Uh, what's your thoughts on this, uh, Fitz? Yeah, like, I think Detroit have had a interesting start to the season. It's been... They, like, they certainly look like a team that can do stuff. And I think that's it's a worry that they're losing two of their biggest playmakers on both sides of the ball. Sigianza has been really the totality of their pass rush last season and to a certain extent this season as well and Abdullah had shown that he's trending upwards in terms of his running back potential so definitely a setback for Detroit we'll see how they handle it like Detroit it's hard to put a read in them anyway but certainly just doesn't help them yeah of course San Diego Danny Woodhead who's been doing stellar work for them the first game and a half has now torn his ACL and is out for the season this is obviously very disappointing for the guys he was doing great things were you saying Ronan that they are looking at signing someone aren't they uh, yeah, uh, Dexter McCluster, uh, formerly of the Titans and I believe the Chiefs. Chiefs, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so obviously a third down specialist kind of fills in some of that Woodhead role. Probably doesn't have the versatility of a Woodhead, but certainly kind of will help be a good complement to Melvin Gordon, who's had somewhat of a renaissance this season. So let's see if San Diego can build on what was a good week for them this week uh, and kind of continue on from there. Yeah, no, of course. Denver had a bit of a <laughs> bit of an unfortunate one. Ware has broken a bone in his forearm, is having surgery on it, and he's out for at least three or four weeks, if not a little bit more. That's going to make a big impact to what they can do uh, defensively. And then also their uh, offensive tackle, Stevenson, is now out with calf injury for two to three weeks. Um, young quarterback who's been looking okay behind what's been a pretty solid line and leaning heavily on the defense for success. Is this going to impact their game plans for the next couple of weeks, Harry? Yeah, I think it is. Um, like, obviously, we don't we don't know what the impact on the O line is going to be so much because we don't really know. It's very difficult to assess the quality of backup O line players. Where is very significant because I think part of the reason where and Miller have had so much success is each other. You've got this incredible threat from both sides of the uh, defense as well as reasonably solid guys in the middle. It's very difficult to double team both of them, and they the, the way they come around with the speed they come with it causes pockets to collapse at the edges. Losing one of them makes it much, much easier for a team to say, okay, we're going to just double-team Miller all game long and buy the time. So, yeah, I think that's that's a big blow. And it'll be interesting to see how Denver scheme the defense to uh, make up for this, if we see them just try to go with the same thing and roll through it, or if they try and uh, mix it up a bit and try and come up with more uh, exotic, shall we say, plays to bring the pressure from other areas to yeah. pick up some of that slack. So I think it's Shane Ray is the big the big kind of question mark there. Can he step up and fill in that role and the other role will be... No, of course, of course. Indianapolis, Butler's out week to week. Hamstring saying and Moncrief is injured, but with no real update on it. I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm not that bothered by the Indianapolis injuries. They've got a lot bigger problems than their starters. Well, they've got their starters in almost all their defensive positions to worry about they, more than their Well, injury. they don't have any starters left in the back. I think they've run out of defensive backs. Yeah, now. well, they were they were down five going into this week, and now they're down... More than five. Yeah. <laughs> Six yeah. plus Cromartie Cromarty also picked up a knock in the game, Yeah, which is expected to play. So it, Not that that's worth much. So Indianapolis <laughs> now expected to start playing wide receivers as DBs, or... It can't be worse. That's true. 
Seattle have a couple of knocks. We'll talk about them in the game. But uh, Rawls got injured, but apparently it's nothing serious. He's going to be back up to full speed this Sunday, from what we're hearing. Baldwin and Lockett also got knocks, but probably not going to miss games. Uh, to be honest, did they just get injured so they could get off the field and stop being such a fucking embarrassment running? Uh, possibly. But yeah, like, you know, like as far as I know, Lockett got injured, was taken off the field, came back in the second half. Baldwin had back spasms. He got an MRI. They can't make negative, negative roles. There's still a bit of a question mark over. But, you know, obviously these are key parts of the Seahawks offense. If any of them are out from one or more games, that'll certainly be problematic. But right now it's looking like the most that they would miss is maybe one or two games. But it's something to keep an eye on in case it, it worsens for any of them. Yeah. PJ Williams got a concussion for the New Orleans Saints. Uh, is this going to impact them at all? Oh, you're looking at me like I meant to know who PJ Williams is. He's a New Orleans cornerback. Uh, oh, that, that explains why I don't know who he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like they, like he's like this is another case like Indianapolis where the lack of depth makes this significant, and the fact that this was such a significant injury, he was knocked unconscious, I believe, but mm. apparently no spinal. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is the one that I sent you the image of. Oh, Do you remember I, he got carted I, off? I decided not to watch that gif. It mm. looked nasty. Yeah, no, he got uh, he got. A helmet. He got a knee to the helmet, and then another guy who was tackling ended up hitting with a knee to the other side of the Ooh. helmet slightly afterwards, and he was carted off the field unconscious. Uh, now he's got filling his extremities and all kind of stuff, so it's fine. But it did look very worrying at the time. Uh, San Francisco Ray Ray Armstrong has, I believe, torn his pectoral and is yeah. out for the season. Yeah, San Francisco. I, I don't care. It's Ray Ray Armstrong. It's not. Yeah. If you, if your defense is gonna like live or die by Ray Ray Armstrong, you've got. You've got problems. No, of course. And uh, <laughs> two, two, two very important notes. I suppose TJ McDonald got charged with DUI. Don't care. But more like the most important news of the entire week: Clipboard Jesus is back. Cleveland have signed Clipboard Jesus. We'll talk about this more in our questions. But Clipboard Jesus is back in the league, guys. I'm very excited. I'm very excited. Oh, emerging from his wooden shack. Yeah, where he's been learning to play guitar. Oh, I thought I thought he was dead for three days. <laughs> oh my. But yeah, sure, with that, guys, that'll do for the news. We'll roll anything else into the game reviews. Let's get on to the games from week two. So we've got a couple of games to get through today. It wasn't, uh, wasn't a phenomenal slate of games. It was a terrible uh, slate of games, Connor. It was Don't not lie. good. It was, it was awful. not good. So we've got one good, a couple middling, and one real bad. Uh, so in the Ring of Honor this week, uh, Dallas at the Washington Pale Faces or the Mazungus. Dax Prescott continues to give hope. Dallas now one one. He threw no passing touchdowns, but he got a rushing one, twenty two of thirty for two hundred and ninety two, and was sacked four times. Uh, the poor young and Ziggy Ansa looked good. Uh, Bryant was back. You know, two fumbles is concerning for Ziggy, so I don't know what they're going to do to deal with that. But I wouldn't necessarily advise it being give him less time on the ball because he did a good job moving it. Um, yeah, the pale faces looked worse than the numbers suggest. They were throwing the ball. They had 10 different receivers at the end of the ball. Matt Jones was okay, but uh, Cousins was brutal in the red zone. He, I think he's only had one successful red zone drive out of his last nine attempts. This week he had one in the end zone that was brutal and ended the game, and his teammates were apparently out discussing him afterwards, saying they're not happy with the money he's getting paid with his approach to the game. Everything is turning south very quickly. I don't think he likes that anymore. <laughs> so, um... I'll come to you on this first, Harry. Is this the start of some serious issue for the for the Washington Mazungus? Uh, I don't know if it's the start of some serious issues for the Mazungus. I think it's a peeling away of a plaster that got slapped over their issues last season, which was exceptional play from Kirk Cousins. And now we've seen him revert to his mean 
which is not that good, all of the other problems are becoming apparent from just the yeah, general lack of quarterback play. Obviously, the lack of a running game since they shipped out. Freddie got his uh, got his revenge touchdown as well in there, but real problem there. And also, like you say, with the teammates, with the talking, again, total lack of leadership in this locker room that was temporarily stymied by Cousins when he was playing out of his out of his skin has come back immediately as soon as the team starts struggling. Once again, the organizational difficulties and the on-the-field difficulties are just under the surface of Washington, and we're seeing them come through again. This starts at the top. This has always started at the top. This has been a dysfunctional organization for an extremely long time, and it's going to continue to be a dysfunctional organization, to be honest, as long as they have this current ownership, because they can do as many bits and bobs, they can bring in as many nice pieces, they can make changes in the coaching staff, but the fundamental culture of that team is fragile. As soon as things go wrong, it turns on itself, it turns on its own, it tears things apart, and there is no long-term plan. Kirk Cousins bet on himself, and he lost, which might mean that the team won, but the team haven't won because they have no plan now that Cousins is struggling. No, of course. What about yourself, Ronan? Like, how far do we think this Dallas team can go? They've looked okay, given that they were... They're still running, like, a uh, third-round quarterback? Or was he later? Fourth. Fourth Fourth-round quarterback. Yeah, well, I'd say, firstly, you know, losing a bet where you make $20 million isn't too bad. Uh, but... <laughs> it's kind of bets I want to make. <laughs> but, like, yeah, no, like, Dak Prescott, he's looked solid. He hasn't looked great, but he's looked solid. Good enough at the moment, because, effectively, like, Dallas is still playing the NFC East. And those, although we've seen some improvements here, uh, particularly from the other non-Pale Faces teams, I think that this is going to be a more, in, well, a more solid, a more solid division than it was last year. I think Dak Prescott... He's definitely been told to not be too expansive, definitely been told uh, not to do anything wrong, basically. He apparently has the record for a rookie for the most amount of receptions, first receptions without an interception. They've got a solid player, and that makes a massive difference from last season because we all know the record that the Cowboys have generally had without Tony Romo uh, under center. Having Dak Prescott there seems to give them hope, not only for this season, but obviously for seasons coming in the future, where Tony Romo's back really can't be relied on from now on. I think this is the kind of start that you can start building a team around and start building a solid offense around. And I think like, I think that's a really good sign for them. And even though the defense still kind of stinks, it's at least doing its kind of more solid, not completely falling apart job. If Dak Prescott can do the right things, give it to Des Bryant, Ezekiel Elliott can do good things, which don't include fumbling the ball, or maybe even Freddie Morris ends up doing those things. I think this is a team that can maybe not be great, but can certainly have a progress season despite Tony Romo's Tony injury problems. No, of course. So do you reckon if it gets to week nine and they're five and four, Tony Romo comes back, do they give Tony Romo back the job or do they leave Prescott in there? I think the team loves Tony Romo, so I think they would give it back to him. But like it's in the off season that you might see some interesting things happening in that situation. Mm, him being traded to Miami, maybe. <laughs> I gotta say that's but I, I I don't like that scenario five and four I think you've no question about bringing Romo back, but if you know they have a significant six and three, record, like I I think basically I think to keep that job Prescott has got to play pretty much perfectly, um, because like like Ronan says Tony Romo is still the man in Dallas and look we know when he's sorry when he's healthy he's a very talented quarterback, so yeah I think they will always go for the experience unless Prescott moves from being solid to fantastic by the time he returns. Yeah, so we're going to move on to the next game. Uh, we're straight into the neutral zone. There was not much good in this, in this week. I think even calling that last game good might have been a Oh, it was a bit of a stretch. Yeah. Um, 
Cincy and Pittsburgh, 16-24. A remarkably civil affair between these two uh, giants of the AFC North. Uh, There's only 10 penalties and one personal (laughs) foul, which... You might laugh at Harry, but the last time these two teams played, there was 220 yards of penalties, fines, and a three-game suspension. <laughs> yeah, it was, like, it was still a very physical game. It was, it was. But uh, so Pittsburgh managed to effectively shut down AJ Green, who only had 38 yards. Uh, they also stopped the run exceptionally well. They had 18 rushes for for 46 yards, averaging 2.6 yards an attempt. Uh, Cincinnati did the exact same back. This is an incredibly well-balanced game. Brown was held to 39 yards, one yard more. Uh, Williams uh, went over 130 like yards from scrimmage and a touchdown. Bernard did 120 yards from uh, from scrimmage and a touchdown. Again, very balanced. Two fumbles from Cincinnati, two interceptions from Pittsburgh. Uh, uh, the, the only difference here was just who was converting the opportunities they had. So Cincy had three field goals and a touchdown. Pittsburgh had three touchdowns and a field goal. And that was it. The yardage was very similar. The defensive statistics were very similar. So I suppose I'll come to you first on this, uh, Ronan. Is, is there that much separating these teams? No, like I think both of these teams are incredibly solid. But I think we're kind of seeing the same thing that we've always thought, which is that Pittsburgh have a much higher ceiling than Cincinnati. Cincinnati are a solid team from top to bottom that managed to fill in their depths very well. They're very good at roster building. But Pittsburgh are better at identifying difference makers. I think the big difference for the Steelers this year is that their defense seems to be rounding into a pretty effective unit. Like, James Harrison continues to be a beast, but I think the big star on their defense now is Ryan Shazier, mm-hmm. who's like had injury problems in the past, but when has been healthy has been an elite inside linebacker. And he's showing that now with a good start to the season. Like his, uh, like his athleticism and ability to play around the field is probably unmatched maybe outside uh, of people like Bobby Wagner or Luke Keekley. Um And they're, they're obviously 4-3 inside linebackers. But for me, it looks like this defense could be very legitimate. And if you pair that with a Pittsburgh offense, which we know can be very effective, we definitely have to look at this as being a Super Bowl contender going forward. And like when you look at the backfield, which has traditionally been one of their main weaknesses... Artie Burns has looked like a good uh, pickup in, in the secondary. And overall, they've looked a bit better there. So, yeah, I think this is a legit roster. And I think Cincinnati are still good. They lost a few players in the offseason. I don't think they're, gonna be, they're probably going to be about where they were, as always. But I think out of these two teams, I think Pittsburgh is a team that you have to look to actually push on forward. Remembering, of course, that they're missing probably their most important offensive piece, Le'Veon Bell, and still managing to look this good. No, of course. So what kind of bit, sorry, do you think these two teams need to change for next week? Uh, the, the first thing, I think both teams have changed the weather, which seems <laughs> to actually cause an awful lot of problems yeah. um, in terms of just pass accuracy, ball security, kind of things like that. But for Cincinnati, I think what they need to look at is, is sort of trying to get this defense, uh, sorry, offense to settle down a bit. Um, it's pretty clear that Dalton is trying to form connections with new guys like LaFell, like uh, Boyd, like um, Zara. And it's getting there, but it's not quite there yet. It's when it's when AJ Green gets taken out of the game, I think he struggles to find those guys, particularly LaFell, in in in, in, the, in the same reliability he was able to hit guys like uh, Jones and Sanu last season, who he seems to just have a bit better rapport and understanding with. So I think that's what Cincinnati need to do is say, right, we need a better plan. Well, plan C almost an offense where we can't 
run the ball particularly effectively, where AJ Green is gone. Dalton needs to be able to find those other guys better and get better at connecting with them and knowing where they're going to be and moving moving the ball around that way. Uh, spreading the ball around the offense better. We did see a little bit of it with uh, with Boyd this week, but with the other two, with LaFell and Usama, it's taking a little longer to do it. Usama's taking a lot of snaps still, but not making huge plays while he's getting targets. So they need to sort of work through that connection for Pittsburgh. Honestly, I think they'll be pretty happy with this. Um, they had their best, you know, their best offensive player on the pitch taken away. They don't have obviously Bell and Bryant, uh, and yet they still managed to win a really tough game against their rivals. There was sloppiness at times. They need to be. I think Rossberger needs to stop forcing the ball quite so much as he did, and I think they need to stop being quite so aggressive on fourth down. It worked really, really well in week one. It worked a bit less well against a better defense this week. So, like, going for it in fourth and six and stuff like that is something I think they just need to sort of chill on doing a little bit because it worked once, uh, but against better defenses, and as teams see them doing that more and more, it's going to work less well, and they'll find themselves giving up field position. No, of course. Uh, Next game in the neutral zone, Tennessee at Detroit. Uh, uh, Fantastic final drive, nine of nine uh, to win with pair of touchdowns in the fourth uh, to come back from 15-3 to three down. Good job, Tennessee. DeMarco looked good. 12 carries for 89 yards. Most of that padded by one big particular run. And Henry also looked pretty solid. 9 for 40. Marvin Jones stepped up into Megatron's shoes a bit. 8 catches for 118 yards, which is the kind of production they need. But overall, just two teams that don't excite me in the slightest. Uh, the comeback was fun, but this was boring as fucking shit beforehand. Uh, two things I enjoyed. Matt Stafford truck sticking a defender. <laughs> like, that was phenomenal. It's just like, charge! Uh, and then the super penalty laundry day, uh, oh where God. there was something in the region of like seven penalties in a row when they were just trying to score in the red zone. It was like from the red zone to like their own 40 or something. It was incredible <laughs> to watch. So yeah, I'll come to you on this fit. Is this the best they can produce? And if so, can we stop watching them? No, like I don't think it's the best either team can produce. I think there's a lot of potential. Like for me, honestly, these are two of the teams that I'm most struggling to have a read on where they're likely to end up in the, in, in the season. Like Tennessee had a you know difficult first week against what we now saw against Green Bay is a very effective defense in Minnesota, and here they pulled out a win against Detroit in some pretty spectacular fashion. Andre Johnson apparently still a thing and still scoring touchdowns from Marcus Mariota. Uh, obviously, he'll have some revenge games coming later in the year. Um, for me, like, yeah, there was a lot of mistakes. It was a sloppy game. But these are two teams, I think, that could go either way this season. And so it's interesting to see where they currently stand right now and where we kind of think they're going to go from here. I think getting a win for Tennessee was massive. And I think, really, we're going to see their exotic Smash Mouth become more Smash Mouth as the year goes on. They've tried a lot of the college trickery in the first two weeks. Teams kind of know it's coming, so it doesn't really work at the NFL, where players are faster and smarter, and I've seen it all before. Uh, so I think we're gonna just going to see what's going to be a very blue-collar offense for Tennessee as the year goes on. For Detroit, there's some interesting pieces going there. I think this Jim Bob Cooter offense sputtered somewhat today, but still has a lot of potential. And it should be interesting what Detroit continue to do on offense, particularly because you have this intriguing kind of wide receiver situation there right now. Anquan Bolden, Golden Tate, and Marvin Jones both showing decent uh, decent production. And Amir Abdullah, if he comes back from the injury shortly, uh, ho- hopefully comes back shortly, you could have some interesting things there. For me, it's more intriguing from a like potential or predictive point of view. But like I think the exciting end of the game uh, gave a bit of a spice to what it might otherwise have been a more forgettable game. 
No, of course. Uh, Harry, when we're looking at these two teams, so I suppose we need to look more long-term than just the immediate. What kind of developments are you looking to see in them long-term? Look, long-term, it's. It, I think Ronald's actually pretty much right. It's, it's really difficult to say long-term because we don't even know what the short-term is with these guys. They're so inconsistent. Tennessee, I'm a little worried about still in the sense that, you know, in the short term, but over the long term, this is the kind of thing that, you know, it could bed down, it could work out. They may, they just need, maybe just need to settle into what they're doing a bit better, just get more comfortable, get Mariota comfortable. We saw at the end of the game that they can look comfortable on offense. That was the first time, bizarrely, in a really high-pressure situation that the team actually looked comfortable running its own offense. So, positives there, and if that's the kind of sort of play they can develop consistently, this team can move forward. Detroit, I, they're still a bit all over the place, aren't they? Yeah. Like, Stafford's still a bit of a random number generator. And like I said it last week, you can't not pick Detroit in this game, but this is the kind of game they lose. And similar to last week, they were in total control of a game and then just gave it up. And this time, at the end, they couldn't pull it back. So you just wonder how Detroit are going to consistently win games when they consistently let other teams back into them. And that's a big, big thing that needs to change. And over the long term, I don't know where the solution is, whether that's going to be personnel, whether that's staffing, whether that's coaching, techniques, whatever it is. But that's been a problem for Detroit for a while now, and it's rearing its head again this season. So they have to get out of that mindset where they keep just being unable to control a game they're winning. No, of course. So a lot of potential in these two teams. Just be better next time. Uh, Baltimore, Cleveland, 25-22. to 22. I've never seen Cleveland look this good ever in football as they did in the first quarter. Straight out the gate, 20 points. Uh, like, then not a single point scored from the rest of the game from them. It was uh, interesting. Isaiah Crowell looked great in the first half. His stat line looks great for the game. 18 for 133 and a touchdown. Except one of those is an 85-yard long cut, which means he had 17 carries for 2.8 yards a carry, right? Minus that one big one. Corey Goldman looked good. 104 yards, two touchdowns. Yeah, pretty good. Dennis Pitta was the big surprise. He showed up, uh, I think, first game in two years. Big style. Uh, nine catches for 102 yards. Like Mike Wallace... Two touchdowns, caught more touchdowns in this game than he did all last season. Like, sneaky best signing of the offseason or complete flash in the pan, potentially. Uh, Cleveland had three fumbles. There was a blocked extra point that was returned for two points. A big comeback. Uh, like, it was quite exciting. But my question is, is it hollow that it was this exciting versus the Browns? Like, is this a reflection of the Browns rather than the Ravens having particularly strong kind of mindset like what do you think uh, Harry is this opposition or are we selling the Ravens short no I, I think it's opposition they were getting destroyed by the Browns for the large part of the game and it was just the deep ball they couldn't stop the deep ball which was just bizarre to watch they seemed completely like, like they did last week they just seemed flat-footed uh, unable to generate get anything going at the start of the game themselves let Cleveland have the ball pretty much as much as they wanted and just let them throw all over them for the first quarter. And that's got to be concerning because this is still not a fantastic Cleveland team, although it definitely has some talented pieces. And this is Josh McCown at quarterback. And you know what he's about, which is humping the ball deep down the field to the biggest guy you can see. And Baltimore just, they weren't ready for it. And it was bizarre. And then they sort of, the momentum momentum changer in inverted commas, but it was, was that obviously that blocked uh, block kick being returned. At that point, it was all, all Baltimore. But even then, they made very heavy weather of it. They relied on sort of a Dennis Pitta, who was his first start, I think, in, in, in two years. I think he played a bit uh, last week to 
make plays. They didn't know how good he was going to be. Flacco struggled a bit. Mike Wallace. Like, the, this was a team that was able to take advantage of the situation in front of it. But not every team is going to leave Mike Wallace open, wide open in the end zone. Because he's Mike Wallace. Not every team is going to be like, well, they're throwing the tight end to load. Let's just let that keep happening. Not every team is going to be as disorganized as the Browns. So you've really got to feel that Baltimore got away with it this week. Because most teams... Would possibly except for the Lions, given what we said earlier, will not let you just storm back from a twenty-one, uh, sorry, twenty-point deficit while offering almost zero resistance in return. To be fair to them, it was only a twenty-point deficit for approximately three and a half seconds <laughs> as they were running back that extra point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose I, I agree with you on most of that. Uh, like on the other side of the coin, Fitz, what can Cleveland take out of this game? Well, another injured quarterback, uh, and maybe some hope. Like Corey Coleman looked great. Isaiah Crowell looked fine. He like he, he looks like at least he's a starting level running back in, in the NFL. That's good for them. And it's kind of a weird offense in Cleveland. It's kind of exciting because it's just like as Harry said, it's literally a it's like a big uh, play offense. It doesn't really do you know moving the sticks. It only can only move the sticks twenty yards at a time. So that'll be exciting to see, especially when they get Josh Gordon back, who's obviously another big play specialist. So I think for Cleveland, at least they'll be entertained this year, uh, the fans, I mean, from an offensive perspective, by a team that's willing to actually do some risk, like some risky stuff and not just basically play within their shell. On the other, on the other side, like, while their secondary is, is complete trash, uh, even though Joe Hayden did manage to get a, uh, did manage to get a pick, if I, if I remember correctly, but... Um, the, the secondary is complete trash, but the front looks like there's potential there. Like as we said in the preseason, the Cleveland Browns. This is a completely redone roster. They have another huge swell of draft picks coming next year. For them, all they need to do is see potential and see that they can do changes. The fact that they gave away such a big lead and obviously precipitated by a very Brownsian event with a p- blocked uh, extra point, kind of reminiscent of that game that they lost in the last second on a blocked field goal. Um, <laughs> and those kind of nightmares will still be in their mind. I think will always be in the back of their mind until they start going on a good winning streak. But I think there's certainly hope there, and there's certainly, you know, it's certainly going to be at least entertaining for Cleveland Brands this year compared to some of the very turgid, uh, you know, give up, you know, after five games stuff we've seen in previous seasons. So hope just on the offense and defense maybe might lead to look at that secondary with all those picks they have next year. No, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, the last game we're going to look at in the middle section here in the neutral zone, because uh, we saved the, the dumpster fire all for one, uh, is the Colts of the Broncos 20-34, the Horse Bowl now with 100% less Manning. Uh, apparently this is the first this is the first game between the Colts and the Broncos that has not involved Peyton Manning since 1993. Yeah, so Luck was pretty poor, 21-40 for 197, a touchdown and an interception. Like, sacked five times, though. He got absolutely manhandled here. Simeon was so-so, 22-33, which is good, but, like, 260 yards, interception, no touchdowns. Like, no one stood out on the offense here on either side. Thomas is back 90 yards, but nothing much there. Anderson got a touchdown. The defense is where it was at. Like, five sacks from the Denver defense, 11 QB hits, and two touchdowns. Like, this was a very poor showing from the Colts, but it's also... 
a very poor Colts defense, and I'd like to see more out of Trevor Simeon and out of this Denver offense uh, if I want to kind of trust them going forward. Like, I found it hard to pick this game uh, last week, especially because I thought both of these are flawed teams, and I don't know whose flaws are going to be more exposed. I'll go to Harry on this. Is it panic o'clock in Indianapolis? Yep. Uh, no question about it. I think, like, genuinely. Um, like, oh, last season, low luck was hurt. It's all right. We've, we've drafted a new lineman. We've got all these talented receivers. And it's more of the same. More of luck running for his life, getting absolutely mangled. Uh, the, an offensive line that just can't block. A defense that is weak. They have, as we mentioned earlier, run out of defensive backs. Their pass rush is old and slow and not as good as it used to be. They just can't get anything going they're constantly looking for that moment of brilliance from Andrew Luck and it's not it's just not forthcoming right now he needs help he's not getting help and as you can see a strong defense can literally just tear this team to pieces even when their own offense is is bad and I mean the reason the Broncos won make no mistake obviously two defensive touchdowns in a 14 point game right that's huge but even when the Broncos were completely misfiring on offense, not moving the ball very well, their defense was able to just smother Indianapolis to the point where they couldn't take advantage of it. If your offense isn't good enough to win games in these situations, where you have your generate your own turnovers, where you have all of these talented pieces and you can't put them together, it's quite worrying, especially since this is the second week in a row now where we've seen this offense just flail, not be able to sorry, leave itself in a hole, trying to mount a comeback and being unable to. And then you wonder, can either side of the ball be good at Indy? Probably not. Yeah, not as they currently stand anyway. There's a lot of question marks there. Fitz, does this city of this Denver team is ready to roll or are there areas they need to grow in if they want to succeed? Yeah, like roll in a very slow way that crushes all before them, but not really in an exciting way. Um, yeah, like I think this is a good enough team to compete like defense wins championships is obviously the cliche and this defense still looks good still looks great um i still think i i, I don't know if it's quite where it was last year i think they, they, they still i think get better teams they, it might get shown up like i don't think this cold team deserve 20 points or like it's basically just andrew luck by himself trying to do magic as harry says but i think with you know with this team trevor simeon is okay and now they're playing the zone-blocking offense with C.J. Anderson. C.J. Anderson looked okay in this game. Not as good as last week, but still looked okay. I think this offense is designed to be a basically a game-management offense which grinds the clock and basically gets the defense off the field for as long as possible and then keeps them fresh, which allows them to destroy the other team. It's a formula that's worked for the Denver Broncos somewhat in a more moderated version last year. It worked for the Seahawks. Uh, a few years ago, it worked for the Baltimore Ravens, you know, over a decade ago. But the problem always for a defense-first team is that the margins will always be smaller than necessarily your level of dominance on defense would suggest. If your offense struggles to put up points despite the defense's uh, de- de- demolition, and in this case they did put up points, but primarily via defensive touchdowns and the fact that the Indianapolis Colts have no defensive backs left, you-, you have to worry that against some of the elite teams, that's where they may struggle. Possibly in the playoffs, though, maybe a bit too early to anoint them into that place yet, where they're going to be in close games and it's going to come down to the, you know, roll the dice effectively. So, definitely a lot of hope. Definitely as good as they could have hoped going in with Trevor Simeon as their quarterback. Maybe a few question marks that we have yet to see that have been asked. Yeah, no, of course. And now on to our final game of the evening from the, the dumpster fireside chats, I suppose. Uh, Seattle at Rams, 3-9. to nine. 
that's not the time the game was on. That's the score. <laughs> uh, this was a bit of a surprise. I, I say surprise. Like Rams have won four of the last five of these meetings. Um, so much kicking and so little giving a shit. Uh, still no touchdowns for the LA Rams, but they've got a win. Uh, big defensive game. Not a no one hundred yard receiver. No rusher over sixty yards. Uh, Michael looked good up until the point he fumbled at the end. Is it time to start panicking, Fitz? What do you guys need to fix? Uh, well, you know, Russell Wilson ankle would, would be good. Uh, obviously, like, Russell Wilson, he's playing injured. Um, ankle sprain, his legs are kind of taped up. Loses a lot of mobility, which makes that Seattle offense somewhat more explosive. We did see progress last season, towards the end of last season, as a pocket passer, but he's still... That offense still isn't the same without his ability to get out of the pocket. And he did show some good things from the pocket. Like, Tyler Lockett was 99 yards and four receptions. And I think that's the weakness of this Rams defense. It can give up big plays. But I think, like, Russell Wilson, when he was injured, was struggling to make those throws on the field. Especially because that defense was slicing through the Seattle offensive line like butter. Apparently, Bradley Sowell isn't really a starting left tackle. Apparently, Jamarcus Webb isn't a great free agent pickup at guard, although he should be replaced by Effetti soon. In the more important news, punting, uh, Johnny Hecker, six punts, 39.5 average, a bit down from last week, but six inside the 20. I think the Seahawks' average starting position um, was like 19 yards. John John Ryan, seven punts, 39.1 average, only two inside the 20, uh, longest of 51. So, yeah, I think in terms of punting... You know that sounds like you're doing the shipping forecast? <laughs> Rowan, we can't expect people to listen... I mean, I know people don't listen to this anyway, but we can't expect those who do to listen to punter statistics for five minutes. Well, it's an LA game. This is a, this will be now a, year, a weekly... Well, hopefully not weekly, since there'll be bad games that are actually entertaining to talk about uh, next week. But for any LA game, the most important thing is the punting, because there are no points. Uh, there is occasional kicking, but mostly just punting. Um, so, yeah, for the Seahawks... It's definitely worrying, but the defense is still very good, um, as shown by the last two weeks, so there's nothing to worry about on that side. And the offense exploded in the second half of last season, so maybe hopefully we can see that, especially if Wilson can kind of heal up after the bye week in week four. No, of course. And this Rams team, um, an aberration or working a system that's going to get them a million dollars through pyramid-based selling? <laughs> I'm, not sure an, I'm not sure they're an aberration as much as an abomination at this point. It's like... It's like it's a monkey paw thing. Like the city of LA found a monkey paw and wished for football to come back, and instead it's got this not like this, yeah, not this like this twisted parody of football. Um, although I suppose they're taking the foot part more literally than most teams have. Mm. Um, no, the Rams aren't, aren't working a system. Well, I mean they are in the sense that it's Jeff Fisher's system, which is nothing makes sense and everything sucks. Why did he but, get extended? Because nothing, nothing makes sense and everything sucks. Also because Stan Crockett, like, as, as an Arsenal fan, I can tell you all about Stan and it's not good. Sorry, Rams fans. You tried to warn us. We didn't listen. Uh, he doesn't care. He literally does not care. What he wants is a solid, stable Investment. business that gets him money. He does not give two hoots about any of the results on the, on the field that have been shown with every single sports franchise he owns. And this one is no different Jeff Fisher, he knows who he is. He knows that Jeff Fisher won't rock the boat. He knows that Jeff Fisher will do Jeff Fisher things. Let him keep operating in the background, keep making money, not causing any trouble. So he's perfectly happy for this to be a mediocre team, for him to constantly go 7-9, and nine, as long as fans are coming to the stadium and filling his pockets. And if they aren't, then he'll just move the team, which is exactly what happened. 
I can't remember what the initial question was or what my point was, but the Rams are horrible and terrible. They're probably going to go 7-9 and nine again because of games like this where they will just pull stuff out of their ass and beat much better teams by just grinding them into this unplayable paste. I don't know why anyone would go to watch a Rams game at this stage. It's just, it's not even sad. It's, it's grim. It's just grim. Yeah. So yeah, that was the that was the games from last week. <laughs> so we're gonna take a look at a couple of your questions. You uh, said so we catch up on some from last week. So we'll start in the first one, guys. I'll come to you first on this. Fitz, uh, we got a question in here asking us who will finish the season as Cleveland's QB. Given obviously they've now they're now going on to their fifth QB in five games, <laughs> um, but their third QB of this season. So is this the quarterback who will play their final game? Yes. <laughs> who will who will play the final game? I presume, yeah. That's basically when they get to the end. Is it well? Okay. So we all agree they're not making the playoffs, right? <laughs> <laughs> so what what quarterback will be playing in week seventeen? Well, there's so many options to play from. Obviously, the favorite right now might be Cody Kessler, um, but there are so many interesting free agent quarterbacks out there. Of course, there's the legendary Matt Flynn, the or, well, allegedly wife-beating Tavares Jackson. Uh, Jimmy Kloss, nice to, I believe, still exists. But I'm going to go with a controversial pick out of left field. They're, they were intrigued by what they said of Orchie Tree, so they're like, what if we got an older, shitter, more morally bankrupt one and bring back Michael Vick to finish up the season for the Cleveland Browns? There we go, perfect. Uh, what about yourself, Harry? What's your thoughts on this? Oh, similar line of thinking. Uh, I was like, okay... This is going to be in the playoffs, by the way, because this guy's going to take over in week six and lead them to glory. So they're like, well, we want a mobile quarterback who's exciting and can hunt the ball miles down the field, but is wildly inaccurate. And it's going to be Terrell Pryor. They're going to switch him back from wide receiver. Then he's going to throw the ball really far up and run under it and And catch catch it himself. himself. Yeah. (laughs) And no, no, be ready, no, be ready for the prior to prior connection. They'll go to the playoffs. There's um, amazing. There's a video online of Jamal Charles doing that, passing the ball to himself. I see that. Actually, <laughs> there's also a video of, believe it or not, Josh Gordon. So maybe they'll run a wildcat two quarterback set oh. with Josh Gordon and Terrell Pryor, and you don't know which one's going to take the snap, and you don't know which one's going to pass the ball. It can't be worse than what they're doing at the moment, right? <laughs> no, this is my current thoughts on the matter. Browns have run through a quarterback every week so far. <laughs> so this is my idea. Each one of these lasts one week. One of whom actually only lasts the bye week because he's injured during practice. <laughs> so this week we've got Cody Kessler, then Matt Flynn, then Josh Freeman, then Michael Vick, then TJ Yates, then Ryan Lindley, then Alex Tanney, Marcus Russell, Jimmy Clausen, Tavares Jackson, Charlie Whitehurst, Sean Reffentree, Matt Hasselbeck, Ricky Stanzi, and at the end of it all they finish up the season with Johnny Manziel <laughs> coming home. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Take I also a bath, son. Take a I also <laughs> love the fact that that Johnny Manziel isn't the only Browns retread quarterback in that I list. Know. <laughs> oh god, do you remember that time when we were researching them and we had to go oh, through god. all of their quarterbacks? And like, oh god, the one that surprised me—I forgot he was still around. Ricky Stanzi. Oh, I remember him in the Chiefs. Oh right. Uh, so I hope that answers your question. Um, you know, if, if it doesn't, it's definitely going to be one of those ones we mentioned because it's pretty much every single available quarterback. Unless they bring back the sex cannon, that'll be amazing. Um, they tried to last season, you turn them down, which is about as humiliating as it can get, really. <laughs> uh, and the next question we're going to take is about... Yes, so come up with a trade that would make sense for both sides, even if you don't think it would actually happen. Um, so I'll go to you first on this one, Harry. 
And this, this is going to happen at the end of the season, okay? So this is the end of season trade. Okay. And what's going to happen at the end of the season is after RG3's injury turns out to be very limiting and the Browns don't have faith in him anymore, they trade a first-round pick to Minnesota for a quarterback they don't need anymore, Sam Bradford, bringing his total value to five first-round draft picks. Interesting. Giving Cleveland stability at the uh, the passing role and uh, giving Minnesota compensation for the pick they stupidly gave up to get Bradford in the first place. Interesting. What about yourself, Ronan? What are you thinking? Well, that they would both win. I think Cleveland have so many picks, they really should trade them for good players. And I think one player that they should consider trading for is Adrian Peterson. I think they should offer a, a big boat of picks, probably not maybe a first-rounder and some other picks, but maybe a lot of smaller picks, to Minnesota. I think Minnesota, this is a team that is moving beyond Peterson anyway. I think they're moving forward with a different perspective and Peterson's contract is holding them back from able to pay their defensive players in the next two years so I think Cleveland they make a big play to try and keep the fans on side after another disappointing season I think it'll be interesting to see that happen now Connor if you come up with one that doesn't involve Cleveland and Minnesota I'll be really impressed now I was going to involve Cleveland in my one but uh, now I feel bad we're just picking at their corpse like, um, my one is one that actually I kind of half-discussed beforehand. Uh, it's also going to involve the Chiefs. I think Cleveland need to blow it up and start get going from scratch. We talking about Cleveland. They've got quite a large contract going to Joe Hayden at the moment. They could get out from under because it's not a scenario where they're going to be a competitive team for the next two to three years. Although what they are going to be doing is trying to build an offensive unit that's going to be able to support them. To do that, I think they need the support of a strong run game that will help them bet in a young quarterback, give them an escape route. What I'm going to say is the Kansas City Chiefs will trade Jamal Charles to the Browns in exchange for Joe Hayden. That, I'd like, you're seeing this happen right now. I'm saying they could do it mid-season if they want, okay. or end of the season, but I'd rather do it now so we can have them this year. I'm not sure that benefits both teams. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure, to be honest. Like, have Joe, you seen Joe Hayden this year? Yeah, he's still better. Than, like he's a, he's a better person to put in there, like a better skill position player to put in at that role and try to get embedded into our system instead. Mm-hmm. Like It's not like they're doing much on the defense there. Like I'm not sure if uh, like I'm not sure if they're ever going to give up Joe Hayden, but uh, we'll see. I'm also not sure if we'd give up Donald Charles, but the thing is, you see where and stuff, providing the level of stuff that they are, it's kind of hard to not think about getting some value. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to move on to our picks for next week. So we've got a few games to run through here. Disagreements on a few. Um, First game up, uh, Houston at New England. Same as always, guys. We're going to try and keep it short. Uh, I've gone Houston. Harry's gone Houston. Fitz has gone New England. Uh, so I suppose, Harry, why Houston, given it's a picking against your own boys? Well, I'm always a little worried about playing a guy, a quarterback, whose name sounds like food when Vince Wilfork is on the other side of the line, because that's really only the end one way. Uh, so Jacoby Brisket is going to die. But no, um, it's just a really rough first game for a very inexperienced quarterback. I think it's going to be a tight game because we obviously have the coaching uh, on our side, but really this quarterback situation is, is, is just a big factor. Houston's defense looks very, very good at the moment. And it's just not a comfortable position for a rookie to be in. We're not going to be able to run the ball on them in the same way that we were on Miami. I think that's been pretty clear from the way uh, the way Houston defended the run this season. I just don't think Brissett is just 
experienced enough and going to be good enough to be able to to eat this one out against what is a pretty well organized Houston team on both sides of the ball. Mm. And to be fair, I think Houston's receivers could give our our number two corner. Like I think Butler will be okay, but I think our other corners are going to really struggle to manage either Hopkins or Fuller, depending on who they draw. No, of course. Uh, Fitz, what about New England? Why are you picking them? This is a pure Dark Lord, Bill Billichek. He's already shown this, like the first two games, that he can win no matter what. On paper, I probably should pick Houston, but based on what New England have been managed to do with Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm just going to go with them until they lose a game, and then maybe I'll reconsider. Until Tom Brady comes back, and then go back to just giving them wins. No, fair enough. I'd say Houston's defense, what puts me on that side, uh, against especially an inexperienced quarterback. If Jimmy G was playing, I think I would maybe be erring on the side of New England, mm, but I can't take a I can't take a, a, a first game for a third-round rookie uh, against what... I saw it to be an excellent defense the last two weeks. Uh, Baltimore, Jacksonville. We've taken Jacksonville across the board. Why have we taken Jacksonville, Harry? Because, like, as bad as Jacksonville have looked, Baltimore have looked probably as bad. The game is in Jacksonville. Jacksonville have, over the last little while, like, played Baltimore quite close, even in years where Jacksonville was bad and Baltimore was good. So you just are concerned given how many how many opportunities Baltimore gave up to Cleveland, Jacksonville, again a big play offense. You can see them going off and I think their defense is a little bit better than Cleveland, so we'll probably be able to hold off the Ravens. No, fair enough. Washington at New York Giants. Uh we've all taken the Giants. Why are we doing that, Fitz? Well the Giants this year seem like the opposite of last year, basically winning close games. I don't think this will be a close game. I think Washington are on the edge of an implosion that Harry alluded to earlier. I think the defense has improved a lot, so I think on balance you have to give them to them, despite the fact that their coach can't buy a proper fitting shirt for his life. <laughs> mm, that's fair. Detroit at Green Bay, we've all taken Green Bay. Uh, basically, Green Bay have not looked great the last two games, but they looked solid enough in the first one, and I think we were all underselling the impact of that Vikings defense. Uh, I think they're at home. It's their first their first home game this season. They're going to light it up. Detroit have some skill positions, but they're not a complete team. I think Green Bay are still contenders, and they're looking to get themselves back on track in this game. So I'd expect them to do quite a lot of damage uh, to Detroit. Cleveland at Miami. Uh, we've all taken Miami. Most of us with question marks beside how we are picking Miami, but I suppose we did just talk about picking apart the corpse of Cleveland. Uh, why are we all taking Miami, uh, Harry? Oh, because as bad as Miami have looked, they've shown some flashes, and Cleveland like just collapsed last week, and are now starting a complete unknown at quarterback. So you really just have to go with the, like if if Miami don't win this game, it is it is set the thing on fire down there. So you'd think there'll be enough to take Cleveland down into Florida and be able to beat a Cleveland team, especially a Cleveland team in the position that this one is in. No, of course, uh, Minnesota, Carolina. I've taken Carolina. Harry's taken Minnesota, and Fitz has taken Carolina. Why Minnesota, Harry? No, if you asked me two weeks ago and you told me I'm making this call, I'd have called you insane. Like, this is... Denver showed us how to beat Carolina. It is relentless front seven pressure. It is incredible middle linebacker play. It is taking away time from for Cam Newton to find his open man, to make a decision about whether to run or pass, not giving him that. That is what Minnesota have been doing this season. That is what they did to Aaron Rodgers this season. You look at the way a guy like Eric Kendricks is playing in the middle of that, like Linval Joseph, Everson Griffin, people like that... This is a front seven playing out of its skin. And the thing is, 
as good as Carolina's defense is, they still, they're not a team that just relies on their defense to win games. They're not a high-scoring defense like Denver's is. They're just a very solid and good one. But the offense does crumble when it's put under massive heavy pressure, and that's what Minnesota have shown themselves to be really, really good at, and that's the kind of thing that Carolina with a questionable O-line and without Jonathan Stewart to carry some of the load are really, really struggle with, so I give the edge to Minnesota in this game. Fair enough. Fitz, why Carolina? I think Carolina are still a good team. I think Cam Newton's still a good quarterback. I think Harry is right. This will be a close game. I think Minnesota has shown a lot of improvement. But I'm still not completely sold on this whole Sam Bradford experiment. Uh, he had one good game. We'll see what he does against the better defense uh, than Green Bay's. Still pretty mediocre defense. And I think Kelvin Benjamin will probably be the difference this, in this game. I think he can make some real good hay in this game and compensate for the fact that Stewart is out. And they should get enough. They should get enough between... Newton and, and their replacement one. No, of course. Uh, I'd be very similar. I think it'll be close. I'm giving it on that balance to the home team. Uh, yeah. Denver at Cincinnati. We've all taken Cincinnati. Reason being, I think Cincinnati looked very good. I think we're all kind of expecting to see that moment where the defense can't carry Trevor Simeon uh, to the extent they did, like, even last week with 14 points. Cincinnati have a good offense. They've got a good defense. They're up and down a pretty good team. I think they're going to play them very hard, and also Denver are on the road, so we're all going to take Cincy. Arizona at Buffalo. We've all taken Arizona. Why is that, Harry? This is the Ryan Brothers show rolling in against Bruce Arians. Um, yeah, look, Arizona wobbled week one, looked really, really good week two. Buffalo, like God knows what their offense is going to be like with the change, and we know how bad their defense is this year. Yeah, just going to be oh, it's just going to be brutal. I would expect this to be very brutal. Uh, Oakland at Tennessee, we've all taken Oakland. Why is that, uh, Fitz? You know, based on their record, what's happened, this really shouldn't be as, as certain as it is. But I think we're all kind of, I'm still kind of chasing that offseason dragon that this Oakland team has a lot more talent than this Tennessee team and should have enough to take them, but. Based on the way the defense is played, maybe this will end up being a lot closer than we'd expect. No, fair enough. Uh, LA at Tampa Bay. Oh, that rhymes. Uh, I've taken Tampa Bay. Fitz has taken Tampa Bay. Harry's taken 7-9 bullshit, so who's that? Uh, my 7-9 bullshit pick is actually Tampa Bay, because the most typical thing you could imagine for this uh, this Rams team, coming off a huge win, well, not huge, a significant win over Seattle, over one of the best teams in the league, to go down against a quarterback who turned the ball over like six times last week and give up 40 points. Yeah, see, I was, I was on the fence at the very end on this one, because... The thing that made them do that was the fact that they were getting pressured, and I don't think Famous Jameis reacts that well to pressure yet. But it's also, yeah, just so LA that they do that. And also, they haven't scored a touchdown yet, so, <laughs> you know, maybe they'll pop that little cherry. San Fran at Seattle, we've all taken Seattle. Why are we doing that, Fitz? Um, Seattle still have a good defense. Their offense, in theory, should be better than San Francisco. San Francisco kind of came back to earth. Uh against Carolina and you know like their defense is definitely improved but the offense is still anemic so go Seahawks yeah Pittsburgh at Philly we've all taken Pittsburgh Philadelphia have looked good Wentz has looked very good as a starter but I think they've been doing it against mediocre teams they haven't come up against something that is the juggernaut that is currently Pittsburgh excellent offense excellent defense it's going to be far more challenging uh, for Wentz than he's expecting and I don't think the Philadelphia defense has enough to deal with all the offense brings from Pittsburgh so I'd expect them to win and win by a healthy amount over under on the number of players hit by batteries during this game well I don't know I'm not sure how accurate their fans are (laughs) New York Jets, Kansas City. I've taken Kansas City. Harry's taken the Jets. And Fitz has taken Kansas City. Why the Jets, Harry? 
Uh, yeah, this is a bit of a bold call, I will admit, but I actually just like what I've seen from the Jets so far this season. I think particularly in the Cincinnati game, uh, we showed that they can like lock guys down, they can play really strong defense, and we've seen Casey really struggle to figure out their offense this season, although we have seen their defense improve over the two-week period. The offense has been messy early on, and I think... When you look at a team with the talent up front and in the backfield that the Jets have, they're a team that's really poised to take advantage of, of mistakes and sloppiness that we've seen from KC this season. I think KC will still come good, but they just seem further away from figuring it out than we thought they'd be. No, no, that's fair enough. Uh, like To be honest, I'm, I'm a bit worried about this game, but we're at home, which I like. I think we match up fairly nicely with with the Jets. Uh, like This is very much a kick in the arse and see what happens, because it's like... The defence looked excellent last week, but the offence looked terrible. Now, we were playing a very good defence. Uh, I basically think we have to win this one because we're almost certainly losing next week to Pittsburgh. And you don't want to start 1-3, and three, even though we've done well when we started slow before. <laughs> I'd rather not start that slowly. Yeah, I think KC's offence get it together a little bit more. And they kind of they they just managed to do it. Yeah, I think like... The two, how the two secondaries hold up will be very important to this game. I think you know the twin, like the towers of the Jets' wide receivers up against you know a, a backfield that has looked not great so far this season in KC. And then of course does Revis Island break down under Jeremy Macklin again? Like are we seeing Revis Island you know become more of a Revis continent or whatever shattered um, peninsula? So like I think. Like, there's going to be some interesting thing, and this may end up being a more high-scoring game than we might expect based on the defensive pedigree of both sides. Hmm. Uh, San Diego at Indianapolis. We've all taken San Diego. Uh, why is that, Harry? Well, San Diego, I think, surprised us uh, this week, showing Big real time. toughness in the face of adversity, not just from last week, but also more adversity, obviously, with, with Danny Woodhead's injury. A couple of the players getting hurt during the game as well. Uh, Indianapolis just seem to be absolutely all over the place at the moment. I think you have to go with San Diego based on based on just the form coming into this one, although you never know with San Diego and you never know with Indianapolis, but yeah, you got to go with the form team. Yeah, no, I'd say so. Uh, also, Indianapolis are just hot garbage. Like, if you have a problem with losing your number one wide receiver, it's much easier to manage that when they've lost their number one through six corners. <laughs> so, like, let's be honest. Uh, Chicago at Dallas, we've all taken Dallas um, mostly because... Look, I said Indianapolis are high garbage. Fuck me, Chicago are even worse. Uh, we don't know who's going to be starting under center for them. Uh, Brian Hoyer, isn't it? But yeah, no, just Dallas are looking solid, getting their stuff together. Uh, I can imagine they're going to have a field day against the Chicago team, uh, especially because they're going to be at home for this one. So the last game is Atlanta at New Orleans, and we disagree on this bad boy. We've got, I've got New Orleans. Harry's got Atlanta. Fitz has got New Orleans. Uh, so... What are our thoughts here? I'll go to you first, Fitz. Why New Orleans? Like, this is the first Monday night game that might actually be fun. Uh, secondly, I think New Orleans, I think this is the kind of game that they win. It, it's at home. They obviously do well at home. And I think this is the kind of game where Drew Brees will go crazy on the Atlanta defense, which I think is still lacking. It's lacking pass rush, and the, like, the back end is still okay, but not great. I think they're really missing. They're really still waiting for Keanu Neal, their, their first-round pick, to come in and actually shore up that safety spot. So I think New Orleans will score enough points perhaps to take this on. But, you know, it wouldn't be surprising if we went the other way. It's, both these teams are pretty hard to predict week to week. Yeah, Harry? Yeah, this was a really a coin flip for me in a lot of senses. And I don't disagree with what Ronan says. I just think that Atlanta's talent in the run game is actually going to make a difference. That they're in a better position to control the clock and, and stop the game from getting out of hand than uh, the New Orleans are. If it turns to a total shootout, yeah, you, have, you would have to favor New Orleans in that instance. But I think Atlanta, 
will, with their combination of running backs and obviously with the talent of Julio Jones, be able to do enough to control the tempo of the game, to use a cliche, and uh, beat them in. Well, it will probably still be a relatively good game, but I just give Atlanta the edge on that basis. Yeah, like I agree quite a lot. I think these are relatively evenly matched teams. I think they're both flawed in well, almost similar ways, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I'm favouring the home team, and also like let's remember how much fun that uh, that that week one game was with the with the Raiders. I imagine the similar Raiders broke a record. Raiders have allowed the most yards in the first two games uh, ever. Oh uh, they've allowed was it a thousand and sixty yards. Uh, so yeah, that's going to be fun. That's uh, <laughs> yeah, thank God they've got a fairly high-powered offense because that defense seems to be falling apart. But no, uh, Jordans just they're home, they're fun, and I just don't trust Atlanta. Like as much as I'd like to, I I, I just can't. But yeah, so that's the games for now. Uh, we haven't actually totted up the stuff, so we don't have an update on how we're standing. But uh, we'll do it later on. I've so any crack for the rest of the week, lads? Not a a huge amount. Um, just a few political things to tidy up, really. Mm. Uh, I don't know why that's all starting to happen over the last few weeks, but it is. Um, budget are coming? Yeah. No, nothing related to the budget, actually, at this oh, point, really. Yeah, that's not my uh, That's not my thing. Yeah. Good. So what, the one thing I noticed in NFL news was uh, Wes Welker going around in a weird Tom Brady. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. being the fake Brady. Like, how high was Wes Welker? About 5'6". He, <laughs> he, he definitely had a bit of a gut. Yeah, it was a bit... He was obviously enjoying... Semi-retirement. Mm-hmm. Probably, like, it's not his fault. He's probably just forgetting his workout. Yeah, yeah are we sure? Yeah. <laughs> That's it. It's just like, I'm, I'm Tom Brady. Okay. Have, have I had dinner today? Uh, maybe not. I'll have a second one. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. How did this happen? <laughs> That's it. He only turned up to the game because he thought, you know, thought he was playing. Like. <laughs> yeah, they just wouldn't let him in at the dog. <laughs> like, you know, what about yourself, Ron? Any story for the rest of the week? Any crack? Not quite enough. Uh, it's pretty busy at work, so other than that, so I'm just keeping my eye on that. Yeah, no, I'm, fa- I'm fairly similar. Working away. I think that the, the March for Choice is on this weekend in Dublin. Yeah, that was the political stuff I was alluding to that I didn't want to mention because we pitched this to middle America. Yeah, well, if they made it this far, fuck them, they can, they can survive. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it should be good. There's, um, they're happening all over all over the world as well. Yeah, they are. Immigrants everywhere sorting them out. Do you know why? Because we're awful shite to our women. Oh, and Connor, you're stuck in your house in two weeks again due to the GA. Yeah, fucking GAA, right? It was, it was an enjoyable game. It was messy, but it was enjoyable. But it's a it's a replay because when there's a draw in that final, they don't go to extra time or anything. They just go, they go for a replay. Because the GAA really fucking likes money. Yeah, because basically they just get to sell out a 90,000-seater stadium again. So uh, Maybe they should replay the Super Bowl when it... Ends in a tie instead of going Oh, jeez, could time. you imagine how much extra debt you'd run cities into? Oh, yeah, but you could have, like, two half-time sh- Oh, gosh. <laughs> Oh, Kirk, Kitty Perry, play all those B-sides that no one knows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Um, oh, yes, Lady Gaga's been announced as the halftime act. I'm totally in favour of that. Yeah, that should be good fun. Awesome. Yeah, that should be good crack. But, yes, yeah, so I have to lock myself in my house in, in uh, next weekend again because the fucking dubs are going to be out in force. I was... Oh, the worst thing is I walked down past the stadium. I live right beside it. I walked down past it to work on the Monday morning and, like, the amount of vomit and broken bottles and discarded, like... Scarves and hats and shite. Oh, it's just it's just manky. And that was a game that nobody won. Yeah, so. that was a draw. Like fuck me, if someone wins, there's gonna be murder. But as well as yeah, that's about it from us. Uh, like I said, hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Gmail, all that kind of shite. Uh, we'll, you know, Pinterest probably. We, I don't, we don't have a Pinterest. I don't know Connor. what Pinterest does. Connor, we don't have a Pinterest, and we're not getting a Pinterest. <laughs> 
Isn't it how we sell ourselves on the internet? No. Isn't that what no, advertising yeah. is? The Twitter account that you're meant to curate and don't. I put a message on the thing asking for things to... And it got liked by two bots. <laughs> oh, we're fucking, fucking in it. Fucking that's in it, it that's it. So, so let's buy from myself, buy from Harry. Bye. Buy from Rodan. Bye. That's uh, All Four Quarters Podcast. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>